volume one chapter eleven of the day will come by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven the god of love ah benedicite how mighty and how great a lord is he a week later theodore dalbrook was established in chambers on the second floor of number two ferret court temple ferret court is one of the few places in the temple which have not been improved and beautified out of knowledge within the last thirty years the architect and the sanitary engineer have passed by on the other side and have left ferret court to its original shabbiness its ceilings have not been elevated or its windows widened nor has the early english stone front replaced the shabby old brickwork its time has not come the rooms are small and low the queer old closets where generations of lawyers have kept their goods and chattels are dark and redolent of mice the staircases are rotten the heavy old balusters are black with age and the deep old window-seats are set in windows of the early georgian era the chambers suited theodore first because they were cheap and next because the sitting-room which was at the back commanded a good view of the river the bedroom was a tolerable size and there was a dressing-room just big enough to hold bath and boots he furnished the rooms comfortably with solid old-fashioned furniture partly consisting of surplus articles sent from the old house in dorchester and partly of his own purchases in london the rooms were arranged with a sober taste which was by no means inartistic and there was just enough bright colouring in the algerian portiere and a few handsome pieces of oriental crockery to relieve the dark tones of old oak and spanish mahogany altogether the chambers had the established look of a nest which was meant to last through wind and weather a shelter in which a man expected to spend a good many years of his life he had another reason for choosing those old rooms in ferret court in preference to chambers in any of those new and commodious houses in the courts that had been rebuilt of late years it was in this house that james dalbrook had begun his legal career it was here on the ground floor that the future lord cheriton had waited for briefs nearly forty years ago and it was here that fame and fortune had first visited him a shining apparition bringing brightness into the shabby old rooms irradiating the gloomy old court with the glory of triumphant ambition hope suddenly realized the consciousness of victory james dalbrook had occupied those dingy chambers fifteen years and long after he became a great man and he had gone from them almost reluctantly to a spacious first floor in king's bench walk he had enjoyed the reputation of a miser at that period of his life he was never known to give a dinner to a friend he lived in a closed retirement which his enemies stigmatized as a hole-and-corner life he was never seen at places of amusement he never played cards or bet upon a race socially he was unpopular theodore had taken all the preliminary steps and had arranged to read with a well-known special pleader he was thoroughly in earnest in his determination to succeed in this new line he wanted to prove to his father that his abandonment of the dorchester office was neither a caprice nor a folly he was even more in earnest in his desire to keep his promise to his cousin juanita almost his first act upon arriving in london had been to go to scotland yard in the hope of finding the detective who had been sent to cheriton and his inquiries there were so far successful that he was able to make an appointment with mr churton for the next day but one he had talked with churton after the adjourned inquest and had heard all that the professional intellect had to offer in the way of opinion at that time but he thought it worth his while to find out if the detective's ideas had taken any new development upon subsequent reflection and also to submit juanita's theory to professional consideration he was not one of those amateurs who think that they are cleverer at a trade than the man who has served a long apprenticeship to it have you thought anything more about the cheriton murder since last july mr churton 
he asked or has your current work been too engrossing to give you time for thought no sir i've had plenty of other cases to think about but i'm not likely to forget such a case as that at cheriton a case in which i was worsted more completely than i have been in anything for the last ten years i've thought about it a good bit i can assure you mr dalbrook and do you see any new light no sir i stick pretty close to my original opinion sir godfrey carmichael was murdered by somebody that bore a grudge against him and there's a woman at the bottom of it why a woman might not a man's hatred be deadly enough to lead to murder not unless he was egged on by a woman or had been jilted by a woman or was jealous of a woman or thought he had a woman's wrongs to avenge is that what your experience teaches you mr churton yes mr dalbrook that is what my experience teaches me and you think it was an enemy of sir godfrey's who fired that shot i do do you think the enemy was a woman the hand that pulled the trigger a woman's hand no i do not a woman couldn't have been about the place without being remarked or got clear off as a man might there are the servants could the murderer be one of them i don't think so sir i've taken stock of them all stables lodges everywhere i never met with such a superior set of servants the person at the west lodge is a lady bred and born i should say she gave me a good deal of information about the household i consider her a remarkably intelligent woman and i know she is of my opinion as to the motive of the murder and yet if i tell you that sir godfrey had not an enemy in the world said theodore dwelling on the main point and not particularly interested in what the highly intelligent mrs porter might have said upon the subject i should tell you sir that no man can answer for another man there is something in the lives of most of us that we would rather keep dark i don't believe there was any dark spot in sir godfrey's life but what if there were an enemy of lord cheriton's a man who has been a judge is in a fair way to have made enemies a foe vindictive enough to strike at him through his son-in-law to smite him by destroying his daughter's happiness she is his only child remember and all his hopes and ambitions centre in her well mr dalbrook if there was such a man he would be an out-and-out blackguard yes it would be a refinement of cruelty a satanic hate but such a man might exist remember the murder of lord mayo one of the wisest and most beloved of india's rulers the wretch who killed him had never seen his face till the day of the murder he thought himself unjustly condemned and he killed the man who represented the power which condemned him might not some wrong-headed englishman have the same vindictive feeling against an english judge yes it is possible no doubt my cousin lady carmichael has another theory theodore explained the positions of lord cheriton and the race that preceded him as owners of the soil and juanita's suspicion of some unknown member of the strangway family but the detective rejected this notion as unworthy of professional consideration it is like a young lady to get such an idea into her head he said if the estate had changed hands yesterday well even then i shouldn't suspect the former owners of wanting to murder the purchaser's son-in-law but when you reflect that lord cheriton has been in peaceful possession of the property for more than twenty years the idea isn't worth a moment's thought what put such a fancy into the lady's head do you think mr dalbrook grief she has brooded upon her loss until her sorrow has taken strange shapes she thinks that it is her duty to help in bringing her husband's murderer to justice she has racked her brains to discover the motive of that cruel crime she has conjured up the image of incarnate hatred and she calls that image by the name of strangway 
i have pledged myself to act upon this idea of hers as if it were an inspiration and the first part of my task will be to find out any surviving member of squire strangway's family he only left three children so the task ought not to be impossible you don't mean sir that you are going to act upon the young lady's theory i do mean it mr churton and i want you to help me or at any rate to give me a lesson how am i to begin he laid his facts before the detective reading over the notes which he had elaborated from jasper blake's reminiscences and from his own recollection of various conversations in which the strangways had figured churton listened attentively nodded or shook his head occasionally and was master of every detail after that one hearing jersey is not a large place if i were following up this inquiry i should go first for the son who is supposed to have died in jersey he said when he had heard all i should follow that line as far as it goes and then i should hunt up the particulars of the colonel's death the gentleman who was drowned at nice if any strangway had a hand in the business it must have been one of those two or the son of one of them but i tell you plainly mr dalbrook that i don't put any faith in that poor lady's notion no not that much said the detective snapping his fingers contemptuously yet it was you yourself who first mooted the idea of a vendetta so it was but i didn't mean a vendetta on such grounds as that an estate changes hands and after twenty years and more the original holders try to murder the son-in-law of the purchaser that won't hold water sir there's not enough human passion in it i've had to study humanity mr dalbrook it's been a part of my profession and perhaps i've studied human nature closer than many a philosopher who sits in his library and writes a book about it now there's no human nature in that notion of lady carmichael's a man may be very savage because his spendthrift father has squandered his estate and he may feel savage with the lucky man who bought and developed that estate and may envy him in his enjoyment of it but he won't nurse his wrath for nearly a quarter of a century and then give expression to his feelings all at once with a revolver that isn't human nature how about the exception to every rule might not this be an exceptional case it might of course there's no truer saying than the fact is stranger than fiction but for all that this notion of lady carmichael's is a young lady's notion and it belongs to fiction and not to fact i wouldn't waste my time upon it if i were you mr dalbrook i must keep my promise mr churton i am obliged to you for your plain speaking and i am inclined to agree with you but i have made a promise and i must keep it naturally sir and if in the course of your inquiries i can be of any use to you i shall be very glad to cooperate. i rely on your help remember there is a handsome reward to be earned by you if you can bring about the discovery of the murderer my part in the search will count for nothing i understand sir that's a stimulus no doubt but i hardly wanted it when a case baffles me as this case has done i would work day and night and live on bread and water for a month to get at the rights of it good day you've got my private address and you can wire me any when you're a sussex man mr churton i fancy born in the village of bramber theodore left waterloo the following evening and landed at st helliers on the following morning an hour or so before noon he landed on the island as an absolute stranger and with the vaguest idea of the work that lay before him but with the determination to lose no time in beginning that work he sent his valise to brett's hotel and he walked along the pier to the town and inquired his way to the police office he was not going in quest of information about a member of the criminal classes 
but the man he was hunting had been a notorious drunkard and it seemed to him that in a small settlement like st heliers such a man would have been likely to attract the attention of the police at some stage of his downward career the first official whom theodore interrogated had never heard of the name of strangway in the island but an elderly inspector appearing presently upon the scene and listening attentively to the conversation made a suggestion you say the gentleman was fond of drink sir and in that case he'd be likely to have his favourite public where they'd know all about him now there are not so many taverns in st heliers where a sea-captain and a broken-down gentleman would care to enjoy himself he wouldn't go to a low place you see and he wouldn't fancy a swell place it would be some house betwixt and between where he'd be looked up a bit and it would be something of a seafaring place you may be sure there ain't so many but what you could look in at em all and ask a few questions and get on the right track i can give you the names of two or three of the likeliest i shall be much obliged said theodore i think it's a capital idea the inspector wrote down the names of three taverns tore the leaf out of his pocket-book and handed it to mr dalbrook if you don't hear of him at one of those i doubt if you'll hear of him anywhere on the island he said those houses are all near the pier and the quays it won't take you long to go from one to the other the rose and crown that's where the english pilots go la belle alliance that's a french house with a table d'hote they've got a very good name for their brandy and it's a great place for broken-down gentlemen you can get a good dinner for half a crown with vin ordinaire included i'll try the belle alliance first said theodore it sounds likely yes i believe it's about the likeliest replied the inspector the belle alliance fronted the quay and stood at the corner of a shabby old street there was a church close by and a dingy old churchyard everything surrounding the belle alliance was shabby and faded and its outlook on the dirty quay and the traffic of ugly wagons and uglier trucks hogsheads and lumber of all kinds was depressing in the extreme but the tavern itself had an air of smartness which an english tavern would hardly have had in the same circumstances the interior was gay with much looking-glass and a good deal of tarnished gilding there were artificial flowers in sham silver vases on the tables and there was a semicircular counter at one end of the restaurant behind which a ponderous divinity still youthful but expansive sat enthroned her sleek black hair elaborately dressed her forehead ornamented with accroche coeur and a cross of jersey diamonds sparkling upon her swan-like throat which was revealed by one of those open collars which are dear to the lower order of french women there was a row of tables in front of the windows which looked towards the quay and there was a long narrow table in the middle of the room laid for the table d'hote dejeuner but as yet the room was empty save for one young man and woman of the tourist order who were whispering and tittering over a café complet at one of the small tables furthest from the buffet theodore went straight to the front of the buffet and saluted the lady enthroned there madame speaks english no doubt oh yes but a little i am live long in jersey where is more english as french peoples after this sample speech it seemed to him that he might get on better with the lady in her native tongue so he asked her for a cup of coffee in her own language and stood at the counter while he drank it and talked to her of indifferent matters she nothing loath you have lived a long time in jersey he said does that mean a long time in this house except one year i have lived in this house all the time nine years i was only nineteen when i undertook the position of dame du comptoir i could not have undertaken such a responsibility with a stranger but the proprietor is my uncle and he knew how to be indulgent to my youth and inexperience and then a handsome face is always an attraction 
you must have brought him good fortune madame he is kind enough to say so he found it difficult to dispense with my services while i was absent though he had a person from london who had been much admired at the crystal palace and you madame was it a feminine caprice the desire for change which made you abandon your uncle during that time i left him when i married replied the lady with a profound sigh i returned to him a heart-broken widow pray forgive me for having recalled the memory of your grief i am a stranger in this place and i am here on a somewhat delicate mission my first visit is to this house because i knew i should find intelligence and sympathy here rather than among my own countrymen i am fortunate in meeting with a lady who has occupied an important position at st helliers for so long a period i have strong reasons for wishing to discover the history of a gentleman who came to the island some years ago i do not know how many after having been unfortunate in the world he was a naval man my poor husband was a naval man sighed the dame du comptoir a pilot no doubt thought theodore theodore's manner which was even more flattering than his words had made a favourable impression and the lady was disposed to be confidential she glanced at the clock and was glad to see that it was only twenty minutes past twelve there was time for a little further conversation with this handsome well-bred englishman before the habitue of the belle alliance came trooping in for the half-past twelve o'clock table d'hote already the atmosphere was odorous with fried sole and ragout de mouton the gentleman of whom i am in quest is reported to have died on the island he continued but this is very likely to have been a false report and it is quite possible that captain strangway may still captain strangway echoed the woman with an agitated air yes i see you know all about him you can help me to find him know him cried the woman i should think i did know him to my bitter cost captain strangway was my husband good heavens he was my husband the people will be here in a few minutes if monsieur will do me the honour to step into my sitting-room we can talk without interruption End of chapter eleven